Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to the Kazingram Dialogue. My guest today is my dear friend Jib Smart. Jib's a programmer, game maker, creator of GyroWiki, and in this episode we discuss the next generation of computer games and the coming game revolution, the relation between mind and brain, and the philosophical problem of personal identity over time. I hope you enjoy this conversation as much as I did. Please welcome my friend Jib Smart to the Kazingram Dialogue. For the past two days, Jib. Mm-hmm. I've known Jib for oh man, since 2012. Yep. I think we met. The first day we met was at the um, at the lunch, right? That's right. You were wearing your purple stuff, your purple hat, your purple shirt. Probably, yeah. <laughs> and I think since then, Jib's moved to Australia, and we've just been hanging out with him for the past two days, with his wife Tripthi and his new son. Where's Daniel? Daniel, I think he's in Trippy's arms. Um, yeah, how's that been? Being a new father for the past ten months? Is Daniel ten? Uh, yeah, ten months. It's been uh, it's been huge. It's been life changing. Um, it's I I guess you, it's the kind of thing that you expect to change your life, and it really does. It um, takes a lot of time. Uh, to give due attention to mm. your kid, <laughs> but it's um, time really well spent. Mm. Um, so it can feel like a lot, but you can also, uh, every kind of new milestone, you might be hearing a bit of him in the background at the moment. Every new milestone just feels really remarkable. Yeah. And when it's your own kid, there are more milestones than you might realize. What was it? Was there a change in your day-to-day scheduling, like a drastic change that you found? Yeah, uh, yeah. So before we had, before we had Daniel, I would uh, try and set aside some time each week to work on my own programming projects. Mm. Um, I'm a software engineer. I was a software engineer full time, um, and but I had my own projects that I wanted to work on in my spare time. And then I, I didn't really have much spare time left anymore. And so when Daniel was about five months old, yeah. I moved to part-time um, so that I had a day set aside to during normal work hours, work on my own stuff. And that's been really awesome because having yeah. that time set aside uh, means I know I have that to look forward to. Mm-hmm. I get more time each week to work on my own stuff, but also it's no longer, um, I'm no longer kind of scrounging for opportunities to work on my stuff. And so I'm able to be more present with the rest of my time, be a better husband, be a better father, mm. um, even be a better employee at the four days a week I'm now doing at work uh, and, and focus on the tasks that I'm supposed to be focus, focusing on. Mm. What's, the, uh, what's the project that you've been working on? It's, um, it's recently I've been, it's a whole bunch of different projects, mm. but recently I've been calling it the gyro revolution. The gyro revolution, guys. That's right. Um, it's G-Y-R-O. Gyro. That's right. Okay. G-Y-R-O revolution. Uh, so the gyro refers to a gyroscope. Um, not the kind of gyroscope you might imagine where it's like a, a flywheel in a frame. Um, it's a microscopic gyroscope. Um, it's often paired with an accelerometer. 
it's used in all, all your smartphones have them um, they're often used in robotics but um, in this case they're also in most modern game controllers okay and not really used to very good effect and so my projects are aimed at helping games use those use the gyro to good effect okay um, so, so there are a bunch of different pieces to the project one of them is a, a, a library for other developers to be able to read gyro input from controllers that do support gyro um, another is a program that lets uh, players map gyro and controller input to keyboard and mouse input um, in such a way that they can try these gyro controls in games that don't have gyro controls Ah, uh, okay. So, uh, the way that works is I've, I've kind of spent a lot of time figuring out what makes gyro controls feel good, what, what features should they offer, what are some of the things that they should do. And then um, because games that let you use the mouse to control the camera or to control the cursor give the player a lot of direct and deliberate control over what they are doing, a lot of freedom without any um, filtering or interference or anything like that, uh, at, and so that gives me the freedom if I'm sending fake mouse inputs to the game. That gives me a lot of freedom if I'm sending fake mouse inputs to the game to um, to do pretty much whatever I want. Um, and so I use, so I convert the gyro input to an appropriate mouse input to show uh, how games should respond to gyro input on PlayStation, on Switch. Mm. And maybe on the next Xbox, if they actually have a gyro in that one. But they don't in the current one. How long do you think you've spent? How many hours do you think you've spent programming this? It's hard to say. Um, like 500 hours? Gee. Probably more. It's... I don't know. It, it, it's, I haven't been doing a very good job tracking how much time I've been able to spend on it. Yeah. I've probably work, been working on this project overall close to two years. Okay. Um, and I've had less and less time to work on it mm. um, as my commitments have changed, commitments outside of work, outside of my family as well, um, then having a baby. Yeah. But then I've had much more time to work on it recently uh, in the last five months. Have you found that since having Daniel that you've actually become more productive with your time? Because um, you, have to, you have to almost you yeah, to scour good, your time. That's a good question. It's... Um, something I've heard a lot is that if you want, yeah, if you want to get something done, give it to a busy person. Mm -hmm. Um, it's made me more precious with my time Mm. because there's a lot less of it. I think, uh, overall I'm at, yeah, overall I'm not more productive than I was before, but I'm more productive with the time that I have. Okay. So with the gyro, what got you interested in it? Like, what what was the um, what was the driving factor behind it? Sure. Um, I don't know if you've ever played any Wii U games. I'm the master at Wii U boxing. Oh, really? You know that. <laughs> I, I remember at Wii boxing. Oh, sorry. After the Wii was the Wii oh, U. Oh, just kidding. Wii boxing. I am the master champ here. That's right. Absolutely. <laughs> So the Wii U was sort of a, a less successful console between the Wii and the, and the current Nintendo console, which is a Switch. But um, it had some fantastic games on it, just a lot of people didn't have the Wii U. And one of them was 
as it's called Splatoon, which used gyro controls. It used the gyro for aiming. Um, and that seems to be the game that kind of introduced the idea of using the gyro mm. as a mouse in a game, in a shooter. Um, it's a very kid-friendly shooter. It's sort of like um, you're shooting paint all over the place and then swimming through it. But so I didn't have a Wii U, but a friend told me about it. And I was like, oh, motion controls, that sounds terrible. Because my experience with motion controls has been terrible. They'd be unresponsive, unreliable, unpredictable. But um, it was someone I, I trust to be uh, pretty smart about this, this kind of thing. And he said, no, actually, it's great. And so I was like, oh, well, okay, I'll, I'd be keen to try it out. And I didn't actually get to try uh, Splatoon, but that's what piqued my interest. And then the uh, Valve, who make Steam, which is kind of like, uh, if, you're, if you're not into games, Steam is kind of the iTunes of video games. Yeah. It's, it's your kind of store and library and uh, um, it's how you keep track of what games you have across different computers and stuff like that. And most games come out of that. But they also made their own controller that did all sorts of weird stuff um, including having a gyro in it and uh, people figured out that they could start using that as a mouse and that that was really effective and then it started supporting I didn't have a Steam controller either but then it started supporting um, through the same interface you could use a PlayStation 4 controller which does have a gyro Mm -hmm. and I had a PlayStation 4 controller I don't even have a PlayStation 4 but I have the controller because um, I find it really handy to have controllers for playing PC games with friends Mm. so um, I gave it a go and I was really pleasantly surprised by how intuitive it was, how responsive it was. And then I eventually did get to play Splatoon and I was surprised at how unresponsive it was and unpredictable mm. and sloppy. Was it, what do you mean by it was unresponsive? Like you, you would turn the, uh, the controller and it wouldn't face the way you wanted it to go? Yeah, so there was a bit of a... One of the, one of the factors was input lag where... Um, there's a bit of time between when you uh, when you make your action and the game responds to that action. And if the input lag is small enough with something that's direct like gyro controls or mouse controls, um, it feels like you have direct control over what's happening in-game. It feels like you're directly moving the camera, for example. Mm-hmm. But if there's too much input lag or there's too much smoothing on it or something like that, um, there can be a number of different factors. But basically, if you can lose that directness of control and it feels like you're kind of, instead of moving around, you're kind of dragging it around and you can't count, mm. on, count on it to okay. uh, do what you think it should do. Mm-hmm. And that was a problem I found in Splatoon. Um, and so I thought, oh, okay, maybe the PlayStation 4 has a great gyro in it and the Switch controllers don't because the Switch controllers weren't supported on Steam yet. But I wanted to be able to speak with some authority on this. Um, is that a problem? My son crying in the background. Nope, that's Daniel making his uh, guest appearance on the Kazingram Dialogue. That's right. Not crying, but uh, yeah, he's just waving a good old chat. <laughs> <laughs> um, but so I wanted to be able to speak with authority on this kind of thing. So I looked into um, open source libraries for reading from Switch and PlayStation 4 controllers. I looked into what people have discovered about how they work. Hmm and into writing my own program that could read those inputs so that I could actually do what Steam was doing. I could do this thing where it's converting gyro input to mouse input and um, see and figure out, okay, what, how much work is it to do a good job of it? Hmm. Um, why a 
do these controllers seem sloppy and these don't? And what I found was it wasn't the controllers, it's the game. The game was uh, doing all sorts of stuff that it doesn't need to do that I reckon um, I would recommend developers avoid. Hmm. And I can see reasons why they're doing it. They're trying to increase stability. Um, for example, no one's hands are perfectly steady, mm-hmm. so they're trying to avoid shakiness in the game. Okay. But there are better solutions than the ones that they have implemented. So is gyro um, most useful for shooter games and not for sports games? So if you're playing like NBA, um, well, I don't know what the newest NBA is, 2K, 2K, 920 2k20 i guess like if you're playing that or if you're playing fifa 2020 it, it's not very useful i would say yeah i would say it's unlikely to be useful for most sports games okay but um it's not specifically shooters the the way i normally put it is if it plays better with a mouse yeah it plays better with a gyro and so shooters are an example of a game that play better with a mouse uh-huh. um what would, in, what, what would another um genre be sure so shooters exist in this interesting space where they play better with a mouse Mm -hmm. but with um with enough work on the developer's part they can be made to be workable on console and so you can play it with a controller so shooters are still popular on console Mm. but what's happening is the game is is usually doing something called aim assist where it interprets your stick input very generously um to help you hit the targets that you're trying to hit okay and then and Games that are where you're controlling with a mouse don't do that. Um, where you're controlling with a gyro, they shouldn't do that if they're um, doing a good job. But so that that's sort of existing in this middle ground. There are examples of games that um, don't exist on console at all, even though popular, even though they are popular genres on PC. Mm-hmm. Because basically, no one has a mouse on console. You can't count on players to have a mouse on console. So games like um, like StarCraft and Age of Empires are yeah. uh, examples of real-time strategy games where you rely a lot on having a mouse. You also rely on keyboard shortcuts, but really the the really important input that everyone will use, even a brand new player will use, is the mouse. And um, a thumbstick makes a very poor mouse. Hmm. So games like that don't exist on console because they're just not workable on console. But there are games that play better with a joystick as well. Than the mouse. Than a mouse, okay. yeah. So what, what I've wondered is, you know, when I have a mouse, I, it's easy for me to use the mouse because my mouse is pressing against something solid, right? Yep. You're like, oh yeah, I have control of this. Whereas if you're if you're a console, um, a game controller, and then you're using the gyro, I feel like, you know, because there's no, there's no secondary pressure on the yeah, thing. Yeah, sure. So you're, you're almost relying on your ability to control your hand movement yeah sure Look, it's true um so have you have you ever handled a gun in real life a pistol a shotgun a shotgun okay yeah so look that's a good example i've handled of bb where, guns not bb guns yeah sure so you have this um more freedom when you're not relying on when you're not leaning against something mm-hmm. um but you also are more prone to your own limited stability mm-hmm. uh, getting in the way um, so you're absolutely right. Like it would be easier to aim a shotgun in a game with a mouse than it is to aim a real life shotgun. You're, you're quicker, um, you're steadier, and you lose some of that with the gyro. But you also gain some freedom with the gyro as well. It's a two-edged sword. Mm. Um, 
the mouse pad has some friction. That's where you get your stability yep. from, and um, it can be make it hard. It can make it hard to do really fine movements uh, that are easier to do with a gyro mm. if the game lets you, and a lot of games don't. So if you had a gyro, um, you know the uh, the VR consoles that are coming out where yeah you can put it on, you can like paint stuff or you know, whatever it is. Right, it would be a lot easier. I mean, I'm assuming it's gyro that they have, right? That they're making. That's absolutely thing. right. Okay. So, uh, uh, PlayStation VR. This yeah. is, as far as I can tell, this is almost the whole reason that the PlayStation controller has a gyro in it is because PlayStation also does PlayStation VR. Um, and gyro accel and accelerometer combined are useful for figuring out the orientation of the controller. Um, you have some other stuff going on as well sometimes. But that's why the PlayStation 4 controller has these really cool features mm -hmm. that they're not actually utilizing to the full extent because they're using it for this niche, which is VR, yeah. um, and missing that it also makes the most popular games in the world better. Mm. Fortnite plays better with gyro. It has gyro on Switch, but it's not very good on Switch. Mm -hmm. um, and it's, it's not the gyro's fault. I don't want to say it's the developer's fault because good conventions haven't been established yet, but uh, with enough research and work, uh, which I've done, it, you can have really good gyro controls. So with, with gyro, what is, it, the, what is the, um, the project that you have? What is it called? Gyro stick? Um, oh, I, what did you call it? The gyro revolution. Gyro revolution. So um, there's some sub projects in there. But anyway, go okay. on. I was just going to say the. Would your dream be that a ton of people realize the potential that gyro has, and then implement it into, or I guess program it because it's programmed because you you have all the code, you have all the instruction for people to do this, right? That's right. It's very easy. That's right. Know. Yeah, yeah. So uh, I guess there are a whole bunch of different. Um, the different sub-projects of the gyro revolution are serving different purposes. And so one of those sub-projects is gyro wiki. It's a mm. website um, that you made that I've made yep. that I continue to maintain that has articles on it. Um, there are no ads or anything, nothing that you pay for. It has articles on it. This is how you do good gyro controls. Mm -hmm. I spent a lot of time on this. This is almost ex exclusively how I play PC games and how I've done it for the last two years. Um, this is how you do implement good gyro controls this is why some stuff isn't great this is the stuff you should avoid and so that's kind of the knowledge base and and the um the the nexus of of the whole project um because it also links to everything else so you have the resources on gyro wiki there's a youtube channel called gyro gaming um that i put up a new video maybe every three weeks um, and that's sort of the evangelistic arm of gyro revolution. Okay. It's uh, because the videos that I make, um, people discover them organically on YouTube or people who are looking for interesting ways to do this stuff, they find it on YouTube. Or what the, usually the way that this stuff gets discovered is someone who's already into this kind of thing shares it with someone else. They use it to explain to someone else, this is why gyro controls are good. Um, you have the 
Joyshock Mapper is the program I talked about before that converts controller input to mm. keyboard and mouse input. Mm -hmm. And that's the, I call it the proof of the gyro evolution. Proof so, of work? Proof of work, no, not quite. But the, without having to actually implement gyro controls yourself in a game that you're working on, yeah. you can use my tool to see what gyro controls will be like in your game. I see. Or okay. you can see what they're like in your favorite game, in yeah. Overwatch, Fortnite, Counter-Strike. Uh, this is how I play those games. Um, and so it, it sets a minimum standard. Like these gyro controls in games should be at least this good. Mm. I'm doing it this hacky way through um, virtual keyboard and mouse input. Mm -hmm. If you actually implemented it in the game yourself, it should be at least this good. I see. Um, and then I'm working on a prototype of a game that actually implements this stuff natively so that you don't have to deal with a hacky program like Joyshock Mapper, mm -hmm. um, but so that you can just install it and, it'll just and connect your controller mm -hmm. and then just... And so it's not supposed to be like a big game or anything like that. It's probably just target shooting. Um, but what it does do is it kind of does everything uh, right as far as gyro mm -hmm. controls are concerned, what settings should be available. Um, and it's you know going to improve as people give feedback on it and then they kind of all support each other so the youtube videos um are included in the articles on gyro wiki um and help explain some of the stuff there this prototype prototype i'm working on will give me uh enable me to create better examples of how this stuff works okay so that'll help with gyro wiki that'll go on the youtube channel as well right. um so they all kind of work together. Mm. Do you think this is the future of gaming, at least for the more popular kinds of gaming? I do, I do. So, um, so like I said before, some games don't actually play better with gyro controls. Like, or like you mentioned, sports games. Yeah. There's some games that just play better with thumbsticks, mm -hmm. and that's fine. But um, gyro controls are not intrusive. It's not like adding extra buttons to your controller. Um, you know, competitive console players will often play with custom controllers that have paddles on the back. Right. And, right. They, and they can map those paddles to other buttons so that they can, for example, more easily access buttons while still, without taking their thumb off the right mm. stick, for mm. example. Um, and they're still, but those are in premium specialty made controllers. Um, they're not in the standard controllers that come with the console. And it's probably for the best that they're not in the standard co controllers that come with the console. Because when someone encounters gaming for the first time and they're given a controller, which is meant to be kind of an easy way to get into it, much easier than a keyboard and mouse, um, it's overwhelming enough as it is that they're like two analog sticks, a directional pad, four face buttons, mm. two shoulder buttons, two triggers. That's already a lot. So the gyro is just an, a sensor built into the controller and for, it doesn't affect games that don't benefit from it. And a lot of the games that benefit from it only benefit from it situationally. Okay. And it's easy to make it so that uh, it only applies situationally. So an example would be Zelda Breath of the Wild on Switch. It does have gyro aim. That's the one I played yesterday? That's the one you played yesterday. Let's go. Cool. Yeah, yeah. And, and so, you know, it has so you, gyro wait, you, you can yes it has gyro but can you play the game with gyro like the whole game um 
So it, it only activates while you're aiming your bow and arrow or okay. while you're ready to throw your weapon. So it only activates when you're in an aiming mode. And so that's, that's, I think that's kind of the best genre of game to get into gyro aiming. I see. Uh, because you don't have to, most of the time, you don't have to worry about how you're holding the controller, what direction it's in. You can just aim mm-hmm. when, it's, uh, when it's actually relevant. Is the, is the way that gyro is um, currently being used is there a um, are there people who don't like gyro and so are very resistant to this gyro revolution? Yeah, um, I think there are, I think there's sort of two kinds of people who are very resistant to gyro. Um, one is someone who hasn't actually played it before, but dislikes motion controls in principle. Like my first reaction was when a friend told me about gyro aiming in Splatoon. I think Splatoon actually calls it motion aiming. And so they've had bad experiences where, with games that have been like waggle the controller to swing your sword or you know, um, flick your controller up to jump. And they've gone, oh, motion controls are unresponsive, unreliable, um, and I don't like them. Yeah. And, but they haven't actually tried gyro controls done well. And I guess the other kind of person, and there's maybe some overlap, is, is a person who's actually played games that do have gyro controls, but the gyro controls are implemented poorly. Mm. And so I, I think even in games like Splatoon and Breath of the Wild, with the gyro controls, they, they have been implemented poorly. Uh, well, the, well, there's a lot of room for improvement. I don't, I don't want to put down the developers of those games. They've really innovated. Yeah. Um, and a lot of what is good in gaming generally has been because we can build on conventions established by others mm-hmm. so when you're the first to do something it's probably not going to be a very good implementation it's Always. probably not going to be very good right so with splatoon and uh zelda games they do let you aim with gyro they don't do a very good job but they've been awesome at pushing it but so a lot of people go uh, a lot of people who are really like gyro controls they point to those games and say yes mm. check it out this is what gyro controls are capable of and for most people, those controls, most people do benefit from those gyro controls, even if they're not particularly good. Um, but if you're used to mouse controls or you're used to having a more responsive stick, you can be really put off by how sloppy or unpredictable they are and go, and, and you can kind of be a little bit blind to the fact that you're probably actually aiming better even with the sloppy gyro controls. And go well, this, mm. but this doesn't feel good. Right. It's not tight. I feel like I'm not. And you're not used totally to it. In control. You know, because you're not used, used to, to like aiming something with no pressure underneath you. Yeah, yeah, it's true. So what I've seen is, um, like I've shown a few people. I'd love to collect more data, and that's one of the goals of this prototype as well that I'm working on. Yeah. But when I see people play with gyro controls, if they um, have not already played games enough to be comfortable with thumbstick aiming, mm-hmm. they'll immediately find gyro controls more comfortable than gyro aiming. Uh, uh, sorry, uh, gyro controls more comfortable than thumbstick aiming. Really? Yeah. Mm. Yeah. It's, okay. uh, is it, cause why, why do you think that is? More intuitive? Yeah, I think there's this directness of control. There's mm. this, um, for example, I was playing Doom on Switch, mm. which has gyro aiming. I was giving it a go. I put the controller... Control, 
I put the controller down to go to the loo and my wife picked it up. Mm-hmm. I was like, yeah, all right, give it a go. And she doesn't play games at all, mm-hmm. except for Mario Odyssey at the time. <laughs> um, and yes, she encountered her first zombie, her first demon-possessed creature anyway. Yeah. And it was shambling towards her and she was freaking out because it's, you know, a very well done, scary game. And she had, this is the first enemy she's encountered in a game like this ever. But, and she's shooting all over the place. And then she kind of like took a deep breath and then just pointed the gun at the zombie's head and shot. Mm. And it was awesome. It was so cool to see. Right. Because when she's trying to point the camera in the direction she wants in a game like Mario Odyssey, even when she's using a pro controller, it's, um, it's still like, even with experienced players, you see a lot of this. It's like tap, 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 where someone's like tapped the stick thinking it'll turn them far enough yep. and it hasn't. So they tap again, tap again. It's just kind of like, it's just kind of uh, iterated trial and error mm-hmm. that you get faster and faster at and you reduce the trial and reduce the error as you get better at it. But there's not this directness of control. Mm. Um, one of the ways of, of thinking about it is with a stick, you're kind of steering the controller. Yep. Uh, you're, you're steering the aimer, you're steering the camera. Whereas with a gyro or with a mouse, moving you're camera. moving it yourself. Yeah, okay. I can see it in my head now. Yeah. I can see the benefit of just, okay, you're aiming and you're like, okay, there's, there's a zombie coming towards me. Let me just move my yeah. camera. And you're just moving instead of having a secondary input to then you move your thumb to move the stick and then yep. you're hoping the stick will move far enough. Yeah. Okay. The... Why do you, why is it that when you're like the 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 gyro a gyro gyro the gyro wiki the whole thing what, yeah. why is it free? The goal here, um, okay. So when I first got into gyro controls, I was like, dang, this is so cool! I need to tell people about it on the internet, and you know, like I'd comment on things and share things on Reddit, and uh, people who already like gyro controls would be like, yeah, and people who already don't like gyro controls or haven't tried them before yeah be like no if it's don't if, if it's not broke don't fix it okay you know um and so it's really hard to convince people um that something is better even when it's obviously better uh, I'll, I'll put obvious in quotes mm-hmm. there um when you're used to something it's very hard to see that something might be obviously better mm-hmm. and so even experienced players who are good with thumbstick aiming from what i've seen when they pick up gyro for the first time they'll be aiming better with gyro within two minutes but they'll still feel more comfortable with the thumbstick yeah because they've been playing with that for years of course so my goal with this project has been uh i've been like oh man i see people talking about stuff and you know commenting on things and being largely ignored Mm. and i can add a voice to that and I will. I have been doing so. Even as I've been working on this project, I've been asking developers to add these features to games. But what can I do? What can I do to increase the volume of my voice to reach more people? Uh, what can I do to be of a to be more effective? Yeah. And uh, one of those is becoming an expert in this kind of thing, yeah. um, so that I can speak with authority on it. And then another of those is having better things to share with people that other people can share. Mm. And so that's the YouTube channel and GyroWiki. So one of the obstacles, I guess, 
if you want to spread the word about something, yeah, make it free. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, which is tough because I'd love to make money of it, off of it. I've spent a lot of time in it. Yeah. Um, I would really like for people to go, oh, he's an expert on this kind of thing, and I, I can pay for that expertise. It's worth paying for that expertise, but it's hard enough to spread the word as it is yeah. free. I don't want to add another obstacle. I don't want to, uh, you know, put a gate around it and uh, make it harder for people to access any of this stuff. That's fair. It's it it's, it reminds me of the um, have you have, have you heard of Thomas Kuhn? Uh, he's a um, Isabel. He's a he's a physicist slash philosopher of science, and he has the uh, the famous Kuhnian paradigm shift. And he talks about saying in his whole book, um, his book is now, he slips, it slips my mind what the book is, but the book is, uh, the paradigm shift is when within scientific theories, within, I guess the progress of science, more often than not, people view science as this slowly blooming flower. That's so consistent. It's right. just like a linear progress that's happening. Yep. And Kuhnian made this, uh, Kuhnian, Kuhn, uh, made this very good point. He said, look, if you look at any of the scientific he calls the scientific revolutions that have happened all of them have been a revolution it's just been you know there's there's a there's a theory that's in place right now that seems to explain quite a few things yeah. but there are these anomalies that are happening yeah so then you try to explain these anomalies by saying hey look there's a theory this this actually does it better and explains more yep and then everyone who's in this current paradigm is like, no, 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 that's not very good at all. Right. It does it. Why fix it when we don't need it? It's just an anomaly. Yeah, yeah. But then what happens is over time, people within the normal camp, the normal paradigm, yeah. starts to realize, oh, crap, there are a bunch of these anomalies. It seems like this new theory see, explains it better. Right. So then what, ha- what ha- happens? There's a revolution. The whole system breaks down. Wow! And it goes into he 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 calls it, he um he says it's very similar to a political revolution. Yeah. Okay. Where the whole system crashes, and then sure. from the ashes, the ones who've always been evangelizing the new theory, yep. they come up from the ashes and say, "Look, guys! Wow! This is a theory that we've been saying. It explains more. Yep. Explains these anomalies that the new theory can't really fix. Yep." Where, so it's very simple. I like the, how you use gyro revolution because <laughs> I don't know. Of course, I don't know if you're thinking of Thomas Kuhn when you're no, saying this. No, I wasn't. But that's awesome. It's very similar to it because you were thinking, hey, look, gyro seems to be better at certain games and it helps you even more. It's more intuitive. Yep. But then there are these people who are like, no, 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 no. Why why fix it? Yeah, It's yeah, not yeah. even broken. Yeah. But then the whole thing is eventually people will start seeing, oh, actually... This gyro wiki stuff has a lot of things that maybe I should start implementing. That's awesome. That's, that's absolutely, uh, that's a beautiful connection you've made. Uh, so I, I didn't know about that at all, uh, but it, um, it's what I'm hoping for here in that I, it is slowly building, slowly spreading. It's like uh, the dam is being filled and sooner or later, um, the dam won't be able to hold all the pressure is my hope. Uh, it's sort of it will reach a critical mass. Um, I'm mixing metaphors here. But anyway, <laughs> it will get to the point where it can no longer be contained. Yeah, and hopefully spread quite quickly and be embraced. And so, as every step of the way, I've been hopeful that someone would pick up what I'm doing mm-hmm. and be like, "Oh yeah, that's great. Let me put it in a game." 
you know, in a game that I'm working on that happens to be a really good one, yeah. happens to be a really popular one, and maybe that would help things take off. And it hasn't happened, but um, as I've worked more and more, I feel like we've sort of been building up and been... Um, like, like there's a community growing around it. Mm-hmm. There are people who are excited about this stuff and talking about this stuff. And um, they're in this this new... Uh, this new group and going yeah the, the old group is much bigger but they're wrong mm-hmm. and and we're bringing people into the new yeah. group and it's growing and growing and growing and growing it's like a grass it's a, it's at this grassroot level right now yeah right? It it's, you just gotta it seems like at this point in our time in history because of the internet and YouTube and yep. TikTok yeah <laughs> <laughs> TikTok's a new thing check uh, out check out RJ's TikTok it's yeah. pretty cool <laughs> the the you really only need one video to go viral it's true right it's crazy because you could be you could be putting out hundreds upon hundreds and then all of them let's say gets like a thousand views yeah and then you just put out the hundred and one video yeah and lo and behold it's like a million views and next thing you know everyone's like we've been missing this the whole time for a hundred videos what are we missing yeah 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 oh for sure and so I, i think that's a big um part of what's interesting to me is that like Sometimes, very rarely, stuff goes viral very rarely. But anyway, sometimes it's your first video that goes viral and then that's it. You know, you don't have anything ready to kind of do anything with that momentum. Um, I think it's quite beneficial to have other stuff, worthwhile content, worthwhile things to share um, already there. Another 100 videos, like from your example, Mm -hmm. so that when number 101 goes viral, people have other stuff to look at right. and they see your other hundred videos and they sort of like get more if they're interested in finding more they have more already and by the time they've consumed everything that you've got you've got more for them again right. exactly um there's, there's, a, there's a reference point for them yeah it's not just that one video that they're looking they're like okay i wish i knew more about you know gyro stuff yeah they're like oh actually there's a hundred videos i can watch yeah and by the time they catch up there's you know three four more it's like oh okay and then it also builds a sense of confidence in the creator yeah sure like okay this guy has been producing it consistently yep you know slowly building it up and there's a sense in which people always it's almost a a story of the underdog there's always they always root for it's like wow this person's been producing it even though you know they may never go viral right so now i don't have 100 videos i think i have like 12 (laughs) (laughs) still it's more it's more than zero yeah, look, it's been an interesting thing as um, as new content gets attention, um, seeing how it affects the amount of attention that goes to other content as well. Mm-hmm. Uh, so um, I get when a new video goes out and it gets shared, um, there'll be a spike at the beginning um, and that spike is for that video, but it's also across uh, the whole channel. There's a smaller spike on other videos. Mm. But what happens is with each new video, my kind of like average daily viewership increases Increases. for a while. And that's been really cool. But then there are external factors as well. So a couple of weeks ago, a YouTuber uh, called Cammy Cakes. Cammy Cakes. Cammy Cakes plays Destiny 2. Um, He's very, very good at it and does Destiny 2 videos very regularly. And... He did a video uh, on why gyro could change gaming forever. Mm. 
and he's he's like into gyro gaming now and he makes did he find your stuff he did after the video okay so he, he put up the video he'd been he'd been doing this through steam most people will do it through steam um and he was like this is so cool this could be the future of of console gaming um it's awesome but he hadn't he made no reference to my stuff at all yeah but because he has this huge following he has like three hundred and thirty thousand subscribers enough that's a whole town yeah yeah that's a lot of people right so when after his video came up i suddenly had a spike in views on my channel my daily viewership uh close to quadrupled whoa and he wasn't even making any direct references to my videos usually when it's something like that happens it's because someone has shared one of my videos on reddit yeah. or something like that or in a forum or in a very popular forum thread um but it was just because he had piqued people's interest in the topic and people who have interest in the topic are going out and looking for more and finding my stuff right um so that's been really cool mm. that's and so then we chatted uh, he i someone pointed me to him he found me as well he was like you're the guy to talk to about gyro stuff let's chat and so um yeah i, I gave him some direction uh to pursue this kind of thing further mm -hmm. and i'm really looking forward to seeing what else he does with it on his channel um and so it's really cool to be able to make these connections. But un until we connected with each other, he was an external force right. um, that was totally out of my control that had a big impact on my channel. What do you think the future of gaming is going to be going to look like in terms of like platforms? So Google has Google's Google Stadia, right? Yeah. You have Google Stadia. Then you have these new, um, I think they're called AR. No, it's not called AR. I think it might be called AR. It's a, it was that company down in Florida. They had that augment, aug, augmented reality. Oh, no, it's not oh, augmented yeah. reality. It's something they called it. Like, it's not virtual rea reality. It's not augmented reality. It's these glasses that you put on, and the, and the glasses make you. The glasses project images w where it makes it seem like whatever's being projected is in the room with you. I forget what the I, company. I think called. that's augmented reality as well. But they, um, they made us they made a distinction because they're like oh, it's different because it makes it look like it's actually interacting with the world. Oh wow! I forget what it's called. I, I think seen I, it. I'll be keen to check what it out. it's called. But you know all these new yeah. kinds of, um, I guess companies coming out with new ways to interact with the world with it. Yeah, awesome. Um, I think it's it's really hard to predict, um, what's going to make a big impact and what's not. Uh, but it's always fun to try anyway. <laughs> yeah. Uh, like when the Switch was first announced, um, for those who don't know, the Switch is Nintendo's current console. And while Nintendo have been big in home consoles and in handhelds, like if you remember way back the Game Boy, yes. um, it wouldn't plug into a TV, but it's portable, it's got batteries, and that's really cool. But back then you'd have a Nintendo 64 as well mm -hmm. plugged into, into the TV. Um, so the Switch kind of does both. It's a handheld that, that, that then plugs into the TV and has removable controls. Um, so when they first announced it and people saw them demonstrating, they have, this, they have the switch, they have this transition from handheld mode to home console mode. A lot of uh, journalists were incredulous. They are uh, skeptical. Um, skeptical that it would work? Yeah, they're like, this is, it's not, well even if this works mostly as advertised 
they're they were skeptical that um the market really wanted it mm. that it would be successful journalists and uh and you know um those who doubted it were wrong it's, <laughs> it was a really good value proposition yeah. and it has uh has met people's hopes in that value proposition so that's been um Gee, I forgot what the question was. Well, it was just the... the oh, yeah. Like, so anticipating what's actually going to succeed. Yeah, what, what, do, you, like, what, what do you think? Because sometimes I think, okay, you know, gaming... So when we were growing up, gaming was always, oh, kids, only kids play games, yeah. you know? Yeah. But now those kids are us. Yeah. We've grown, we, we're the grown-ups and yeah. we play games. Yeah. I know, you know, tons of people who are much older than me, if not too much older than me, but let's say like um, 10 years older than me. Yeah that still play games. Yeah. Right? So it's not like gaming is going anywhere. Right. We have ga- we have like um uh what Fortnite tournaments where that guy yeah. won I think like 3.2 million or 2.3. Yeah, that's what I heard. It was insane. That was wild, hey. And then and Fortnite is a new game f- like recent yeah. like fairly yeah. new. So it's, it seems like gaming's not going anywhere anytime soon. It yeah. just seems it's becoming more and more popular yeah. as more kids are watching YouTube. They there are kids who just watch YouTube of other people playing games. Yeah. That's all they ever do. For sure. So you have these, the next generation, I mean the current generation, the kids' generation, they're going to grow up and it's 100% they're going to be playing games. Yeah. So it's like, okay, what, what kind of game, what kind of platform should do we anticipate will we'll, we'll take? But will it be like um, full immersive VR? Have you seen the Sandbox VR? Have you heard of those? Um. No, I don't know if I have. Okay, so it's it's basically this VR that you put on, yeah, right, the glasses, but it's you have a backpack. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. And then you have these these uh, what do you call those things? Sticks. Yeah. And you're in a room, a green screen room. Yeah. With your friends, and the whole thing is you can see your friends in the VR. Yeah. And you're in the room exploring and killing people, yeah, or killing yeah. zombies, whatever it yeah. is. That seems like one future. That looks like a lot of fun, right? <laughs> yeah. Where I think with the VR, when it first came out, because it was attached to some console, there yeah. were there have been there are videos where people <laughs> they're climbing up, you know, mountain yeah, yeah. or something, and then they fall in the VR yeah. too far forward, yeah, and in real life they just fall flat yeah. on their face, yeah, and the whole console or the TV comes with them. Oh no! It's kind of attached. Yeah, it's like wow. This sandbox VR seems like much smarter way of getting mud. Yeah. Well, so there's um, things like the Oculus Quest. I haven't given it a go myself, but so, so Oculus is a big name in VR. Um, they're owned by Facebook and the Oculus Quest is a relatively recent iteration of their VR headset. Um, and it is entirely self-contained, I think in the headset itself. Really? Yeah. Um, so games need, need to be made specifically with the Quest in mind, but uh, Oculus being as big and influential as they are, uh, a lot of very important VR games mm-hmm. uh, have been have Quest versions. Um, it's very cool. I haven't tried it myself, but from what I've seen from friends of mine who are really into VR stuff and staying on top of this kind of thing, it looks to be a game changer it's hmm. relatively cheap for vr and this kind of thing is only going to get cheaper but it it solves a really big problem which is being tethered to something in the real world um and so i think 
stuff like that is really really cool mm. playstation vr is really really cool as well in that um so, so consoles are kind of like the uh a really wide net for catching potential gamers um a lot of a lot of people who are really into console games will call themselves hardcore gamers and they'll call people who play on phones casual gamers well because every <laughs> yeah because yeah, because every every everyone has a phone mm-hmm. and it's very easy to have uh get games on your phones yeah. and they'll usually not be quite as substantial as console games and um but you know it's i'm, I'm not validating that perception mm-hmm. at all um pc gamers a lot of pc gamers call console gamers casual gamers um I'm not validating that either. (laughs) But uh, because VR has mostly been tied to PC, which is less accessible to people generally. Um, Lots of people have laptops of some kind, but these days they're mostly like a really portable way to connect yourself to the internet that has a keyboard attached to it. Mm. That's that's the kind of the advantage you have over using your phone. Um, PC gaming is very big, but it's still relatively small on a relatively inaccessible on a global scale um consoles are much more accessible and playstation leaning really into vr is really good for vr Mm. um as long as playstation continues to do a good job which i think they're doing what do you what do you think will happen when people start using vr consists because right now with vr uh, i've read that one problem is that there's a a lag a slight lag in it so people at first kind of get dizzy when they're trying to get used to vr but i was reading that there was a woman and maybe i'm I'm, maybe i'm remembering wrong but she was she played so much vr that she her visual cortex got used to the vr way of moving that when she took it off she would get dizzy in the real world really but this I'll, was I would love to read this that sounds fascinating so, but I could be remembering this wrong so I'm wondering you know what will happen in the future if yeah. we have more and more VR will it be the case that human beings just generally you know our interaction will just wholly become this VR so like for example you and I we're talking right now yeah yeah but let's say I'm like oh man I gotta talk to Jib today but it's much easier to talk to Jib and meet Jib in the VR because I you know I don't have to travel in the snow yeah, sure. Because we're in Canada. Yeah. And say you're in Perth. We're like, okay, we can just get in, get in the VR, just talk like a normal Skype chat. Yeah, yeah. Will that become our new norm for hanging out with people? Man. I remember watching in the 90s, watching TV and movies where they'd say something about the future and you have video calls. And I was like, what? Video call? <laughs> Surely it's kind of awkward. You know, like, do you look at the camera or... Do you, you look know? at the person in the eye? Yeah, yeah. And then we kind of went through those growing pains with Skype. Yeah. And then it's ubiquitous. It's video calls are just so normal. And and it's it makes sense that it'll be the same for VR as well. Mm. A friend of mine has a, has a two-year-old and he gave his two-year-old a go in VR. Oh. And this kid had an absolute blast. <laughs> he went wild it was it was one of those really creative games that kind of let you just interact with a whole bunch of different things and with physics and stuff like that um i don't remember what the game was but he had such a blast um that like the next day 
he's he's just basically begging his dad to let him play VR. Let me in, let me in, let me in. <laughs> and it only then occurred to me that um, that for me, VR was science fiction yeah. until a little under 10 years ago, I guess. Yeah. Um, and then it was just this, oh, could we actually do it? Could, we, could VR actually happen? And there's a generation already alive who for the entirety of their living memory, VR, VR will have existed. Yeah, and, and be um, accessible to a fairly large consumer base. And it's getting better. Right? Yeah. The, the, um, the graphics in VR are getting better. It's not like yep. these stick figures, yep. not stick figures, but cube figures yeah. that are just walking around. Yeah. I mean, there's, a, there's an article that I read from, maybe it's Vice. Sure. I think Vice did a little article on the VR church. Oh, okay. Have you heard of the church? I think it's no. called Church of the VR, the VR church. And it's this guy, he's a pastor. Yeah. He's a normal pastor, but he has a church, a VR church. And the, and the church is for people who are unable to get out of their house to go to church. Sure. So instead of, instead of streaming sermons, what they'll do, excuse me, I hit the table. Uh, what they'll do is they'll put on the VR goggles and they will to, I don't know how it really works in VR, but they go to this location or address yeah. and then they have church service there where pastor VR is giving a sermon. Yeah, sure. But it's, so there's a, there's an image of the pastor and the, all of them aren't humans. Like the, I think past the pastor is the only human. The rest are like animals right. <laughs> and all these things. Now, the interesting thing is uh, the VR church had their first baptism, VR baptism. No way. Yeah. So they took, so he took one of the congregant members oh, in the man. VR church and baptized it. So I was thinking, okay, right now, right now, there are a lot of people who go to church or, you know, it doesn't have to be, it could be like the mosque. It doesn't really matter what. Yeah. Who will stream a sermon. Yeah. The service instead. Yep. Is it better for these people who don't go out much, who maybe like, let's let's pick an extreme case extreme extreme introvert maybe yeah. they're even allergic to sunlight sure right they can't go out maybe they're even allergic to clothes so they can't wear clothes right <laughs> <laughs> you know is it are we getting to that future where a lot more things are just going to be on vr a lot of things that we think are normal so shopping we go right. shopping you know we went down to the mall yesterday yeah Will it just be a normal thing where you just put on your headset, you walk around the mall, but it's, a, it's in the VR world. You're not really walking around the world. Right. Gee, what a good question. Look, <laughs> it's, it's hard to s speculate. What I will say is... Speculation is the name of the game for the is, future. It is. Let's do it. So I know that there are um, people watch movies in VR. So, so there are movies made for VR. I watched the v movie in VR. Did you? Yeah, when I was getting my MRIs for my knees. Yeah. They stuck this VR goggles. Yeah. And they're like, do you want to watch Friends or Big Bang? Like, okay. Uh, Friends. <laughs> yeah. And, and I was like, wow, this is great. It looks like I'm watching a big screen. but Right. Exactly. And you can look around. Yeah. And it's so like, weird. Sit, maybe, I don't know, know about your experience, but I've seen like that there are like seats around you, maybe other people who are also watching the same thing at the same time. I don't know. If, I think it was just me. Sure. But uh, that's awesome. That's really cool. But there's this, um, yeah, so, so that's interesting because like when I go to a shopping center or a mall, the other customers 
in that mall, apart from the people I've gone with, um, I'd say by and large not beneficial to my experience of the mall. They get in my way or there's a lot of, if there's a lot of noise and chatter and, and I'm, we're trying to do something, I can actually get a bit anxious. Um, and so to be able to have access to the mall in that free way, I think it won't be a one-to-one translation. Mm. It won't be like going to a VR mall and then going to the movies or something like that. Mm. Because I, I think um, when you go virtual, you can do better. You can, you can do... Um, and, and a lot of that we already do on our computer where we don't have to go to like a different department or something like that yep. or a different specialty shop. We can mm-hmm. go on you know, eBay yep. and um, just search for exactly what we want and order it. And so Without for, ever having to step foot into the mall. Yeah. And so for me, the benefit of going to the mall is I want it now yes. and I go and get it. Mm-hmm. Um, and VR doesn't solve that problem any more than the internet does although amazon is sort of solving that problem with amazon with prime the, and with the yeah right which is awesome that's the future mm-hmm. right it's, it definitely um, is the future the way that shopping's done yeah but it, it it does the one negative thing about amazon prime is for sellers yeah. who aren't as big as amazon oh okay right because yeah. they have to have like you know I don't know, like three to seven days. Whereas right. Amazon's like, oh, you buy it now, you can get it tomorrow if you're a prime yeah, member. Right? Yeah. And so that competition, I mean, competition is just the way the world works, but that is one negative thing for um, for smalls, for not not even small, larger scaled companies because they can't do what Amazon can do, right? Yeah, yeah. Amazon's absolutely. fulfillment center is like, it's massive. Yeah. So big. Yeah. Um, but you, with the VR, you, you know, it, it could even be that, you know, say I have a VR, you have a VR. Yeah. And I have my VR church, right? Yeah, yeah. And then I have my, and then I have a VR mall. What I can do is I'll create a map of IJ's map. Yeah. Right? And it's all the things that I usually do and I can share my sure, map. Sure, And then I share my map with you and you're like, yeah. oh, IJ has a, IJ goes to Sweet 16 mall. I don't right. know what it is. <laughs> well, yeah, because a huge part of the mall experience can be social. Um, and, and, browsing for stuff on ebay is not and browsing for stuff on ebay while you have someone on skype is something i guess you could do yeah but i never really thought I think about people that people don't really do it <laughs> but i i think with vr it seems that you do get this you do get more of this kind of social experience mm. with with other people in the same place that you can interact with even though you can't like touch them or push them or whatever you're probably not pushing them around at the mall either. But you have this sense of presence, of yeah. being near them, um, of being able to talk to them. And then what VR's getting... I mean, it's got a long way to go, but what it's getting better at is um, uh, involving the user's face. Mm, that's exactly it. Yeah. Right. If you can map the user's face well into VR, yeah, you don't really need video calling anymore. Yeah. Right, because I could just part of the reason why video calling is such a beautiful technology for at least for us yeah. is that you can see your friend yeah. from across the world. Yeah, you're like, hey, you're right there. You know, awesome. the only thing you can't do is you can't touch them, you can't smell them. Yeah, but that's the other thing. Would would you get to a point in the future where, I mean, the one down? So just generally speaking, the one downside, in my opinion, with online dating 
is not the online dating itself is the fact that you can have interaction with the potential your potential uh, lover yeah for months on end let's just say weeks on end yeah and you have all these chemistry like actual biochemistry being yeah. you know being released all the, you know all these pheromones being released you know when you're chatting to your lover blah yeah. blah blah but the downside is the person you're talking to is not in the room yeah. to sense the pheromones being released sure so you have these you have this built up expectation so when yeah. you meet in person you expect that oh they've already, obviously this is all subconscious but you sure you know you, you you think that the the chemicals that's been released that you would immediately feel that yeah but you haven't really been in touch yeah that's interesting so um so in my ex- personal experience uh so my wife and i uh, we did long distance before we were married. We did long distance for three years. Our entire dating relationship was long distance from Ottawa, Canada to Perth, Australia. It was a 12-hour time difference depending on daylight savings. And um, yeah, I'd, we relied a lot on Skype and Google Hangouts mm-hmm. and WhatsApp video calls. And um, it's the kind of thing... It's the kind of thing that first it first gets popular because it solves problems, yeah. but there are ways in which it could create problems. Mm-hmm. So for us, it was really good. We were relieved the first time we met up in person after having started dating long distance. Was it like, oh good, we're both very comfortable with mm. this. This feels very natural and we've fallen into a good rhythm with each other. But um, someone close to me uh, was in a long distance relationship for a year mm-hmm. and was really excited to get into the same place as that person and had her travel across the world to see him and um, had the opposite experience right. where they were finally in person and they're like... It's a bit awkward. Yeah. yeah. And and kind of in a relatively short time, they talked about it and thankfully they both felt the same way about mm-hmm. it and, um, and that was the end of their relationship. And, it, you know, it was... A good thing but you kind of you kind of don't know um until you're in person so it, it's sort of solving the problem of distance mm-hmm. it would have been incredibly hard to have the relationship that we had um without being able to talk to each other every day mm-hmm. um at times we couldn't like when when she was away or something we couldn't talk to each other every day but at least we could expect to talk to each other um, every few days yeah. and we'd be able to message every day um, but it, yeah it's not a complete substitute right. for for being in the same room as a person would it, would, do you think it'd be, it's, it'll be possible in the future that we'll, we'll be we'll have certain technology that will trigger parts of your brain right that will create the smell or create oh man um, certain sense experience because sometimes Sometimes you can, sometimes you can feel things without someone actually touching you, right? Yeah. Like you, yeah. you, you have these um, what are they called? Phantom sensations. Like you sure. feel like your phone's vibrating. Yeah, yeah, and you're yeah. Like, you look oh, down, absolutely. Like, oh yeah, my phone's actually not in my pocket. Yeah. Right. Oh. Okay. What do you think? Do you think it'll be possible that we'll be able to manipulate the brain, the physical brain, so such you, that you gave a really good example earlier when you're talking about pheromones? I think there's. 
this scary thing. I hope we don't find... I hope we don't find these kinds of things important to a virtual experience. Hmm. Because if we do, yeah. we will find solutions to that problem. And they'll be of great benefit to long-distance relationships, for example. But if they're important... You think it'll replace real human interaction? More, more that I feel like they're ripe for abuse. Um, mm. So you get targeted... Advertising these days is already incredibly targeted. Oh, ads. I didn't even think about that. Yeah. So uh, um, getting Trump elected, there was this huge campaign... Um, that uh, had very, very targeted ads and they were able to target those ads so well based on data that um, much of it was obtained through like a, like Facebook's system not being quite good enough. Uh, but to be quite honest, a sufficient amount of that data was obtained through um, users just not being savvy about what they're agreeing to on the internet. You know, they're like, hey, here's this poll, participate in this poll. Um, but to do so, you need to give us, let us look at your profile. Yeah. Uh, and, and people will just tick, yes, yeah, so you can look at my profile. Because nobody reads the yeah. uh, agreement. Yeah, nobody. no one reads the terms and conditions. No one, yeah, so, um, so even though there were dodgy aspects, even though there were aspects to that that, that um, Facebook should have dealt with better, and, and okay, I, I don't want to talk too much about that. There are other things that were dodgy, but they could have done slightly differently um, to uh, to then technically be within the law. Mm. So, uh, for example, they um, outsourced, uh, they had someone else obtain the data for them mm. um, and it was illegal for them to then have access to that data. But what they could have done instead is outsourced the creation of the app that obtained the data for them and then they'd be obtaining the data themselves yeah. for example um anyway so what people got really worried about was like oh this is really manipulative this is really you know people's people don't know that their minds are being changed about things in these ways and it struck me that um this is i mean it's good for people to be aware of this kind of thing but Welcome to advertising. Yeah. Welcome to marketing. That's this how it is, works. Yeah. And how it's always worked. Yeah. And, you know, yeah, we're getting better and better and better at it. But we've been getting better at better and better and better at it for a very long time. Not just in the last 10 years. Not just in the last election. 30 years. Or just in the last election. It's not like they yeah. magically became better. Yeah. And so, for, so if it turns out that um, that can be a tool... Uh, if it turns out that we can use systems that uh, improve virtual reality interactions in a meaningful way, those can probably also be abused. Those can probably also be abused for um, manipulating people, mm. which is what all advertising is. All advertising is manipulation. Um, it's just a matter of degree. And the degree is, in, is getting increasingly scary. Because mm -hmm. you... You know, if you have, let's just say, something attached to your brain, yeah. right, that allows you to see things, to smell things that aren't actually there. Yeah. And then, obviously, it's going to be a private company that makes this, unless you somehow make it yourself, and then right. you, 
individually some everyone owns it yeah you can imagine i mean unless unless they put it on some some sort of use blockchain technology and then everyone has access to their own data and then they can gotcha. release it whenever they want to let's gotcha. just assume that that's not the case yeah it'll be kind of scary you know because if you have a technology that's implanted in your brain yeah but you have no way to control what is being shown to you yeah and they have access to your visual cortex all that they have access to what you're seeing visually yeah I don't. I don't know if it's there was a there was a guest on the um on the podcast a while back, uh, Michael uh, Adam Ferguson. He's yep. a neuroscientist. Yep. And he told me one of the craziest things that I that I didn't even know was being was taking place. It was that uh, there was research being done where they were mapping the brain, so people were being shown pictures on screens. Yep. I forget how many people were being shown certain pictures, and they were just all they were doing was they were, they were mapping the brain the area that lit up yeah the whole research was to see whether they could then take the information that they were getting from the brain and replicate the image that was being seen without actually seeing the image without the computer actually seeing the image right what they did was they they didn't obviously didn't they didn't draw they didn't come up with a perfect rabbit yeah but they came up with something that looked like a rabbit. Yeah, sure. They came up with something that looked like apples. They came up with something that looked like houses. Wow. Without the computer actually seeing what the user was seeing. Sure. So, I mean, this takes us to the question of, are we just the brain? Like, you know, are we just simply the brain and there's nothing more to it that we can we can map every thought? Right. And then just replicate it, and or I mean, right now would be transhumanism. Yeah, just upload our consciousness. Yeah, into the forever net <laughs> and exist forever. Right. Know? Yeah, that's a good question because like uh, there's this. So when my wife and I were doing long distance, we were always joking about how we were working on teleportation. So because we could fix, because it would take me like, we're going for the cheap flights to see each other. Um, it'll take me like 30 hours to get to her, sometimes yeah. longer. Um, teleportation would have been really awesome. But anyway, in reality, I'd be really wary of teleportation yeah. because I think... That you wouldn't be the same person that comes out? Yeah. <laughs> yeah, because unless, unless I'm confident that I am being physically moved, space is being warped such that I can step through a portal, that doesn't scare me so much. But if if... I'm somehow instantly dematerialized dematerialized and then rematerialized has has something of me died in that process and I think or is it the same jib that's appearing on the other side that's yeah, the uh, yeah, yeah that's the uh, what's that movie with a uh, Hugh Jackman that, that was a terrible oh, issue right. <laughs> the, the prestige the prestige right oh, where he recreates uh, where Tesla is able to create this um, teleportation device. teleportation slash yeah. replicate yeah, yeah someone else and every time he does spoiler it spoiler alert anyway. sorry guys <laughs> but um, every time he does movie. it check it out even if even if you've heard this already check it out yeah every time he does it he doesn't know if it's him that's yeah. gonna be drowning or that's yeah. gonna be the one alive yeah that's awesome <laughs> so <laughs> oh man so okay um here's here's where I'm at on um I, I guess part of the question here is is the mind entirely material mm-hmm. is as the brain and, and mind synonymous and 
if they were, I think, I think I'd be okay. If if I knew for sure that they were, I think I'd be okay with a painless dematerialization, rematerialization process. You can even rebuild me out of different pieces, whatever. I think I think in that case, the thing that's important to me is the continuity of experience, not the continuity of the matter having that experience. Um, so if, if, if we're entirely material, I wouldn't be afraid of teleportation. Mm-hmm. Why is that? Because um, if it was teleportation, yeah. let's say A and B, the two gates are thousand kilometers away from each other yeah if you're entirely material yeah how would you and you get dematerialized in this gate yeah how would you know if you were if you're entirely material how would you can how can you be certain and why wouldn't you be afraid that it wouldn't be you because how do you know it's the same material that's rematerializing yeah i think um i'm not concerned if, if we are entirely material, I'm not concerned with it actually being the same material. It's probably the, the arrangement of the material. And so if, if you um, create the same arrangement of material elsewhere mm-hmm. without dematerializing me, um, and, and everything, everything of the mind is material, then yeah. that new me will have the same memories as me from their experience they will have from their experience they will have teleported and um or believe that they have teleported right um sorry what was the question again well the question is is so you were just talking about how for you if you were if you were fully and only material you yeah. would be scared of teleportation yeah but if you're not you are you i mean you are scared of teleportation yeah okay okay i'm i'm going to recontextualize this a little bit um i'm a christian i'm a theist um and i would like to take that out of the equation okay of the discussion about about the materiality so if 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 we're entirely mat- material and there is nothing supernatural uh-huh. then go ahead teleport me somewhere else because even me now isn't the same me as me five seconds ago for sure it's just a chain reaction um i'm quite enjoying this chain reaction at present um i'm happy for it to continue uh but if you were to cut you know stop that chain reaction is short without me suffering through that ceasing um then i'm not going to complain um there's nothing left to complain and i think um there is room and the reason i wanted to take uh god out of the equation there is um and i guess the idea of an afterlife out of the equation there is you can have an entirely material afterlife okay um in what sense would that be an afterlife and not just where we are right now? Or well, you will have died okay. and have been raised 
and rejuvenated materially. Somewhere else? Somewhere else, okay. yeah, sure. Uh, Just like after Earth. Because you still have the life. And it's all yeah, like yeah. immaterial. Because the only reason is, generally when you say after life, you tend to think immaterial. Oh, sure. Oh, sure. Uh, yeah. So uh, in, in the Bible, um, in the Old Testament, there's this... Um, I say this as a very uneducated person on this kind of thing. So, and I know you're better educated on this kind of thing than I am. You went to Bible <laughs> yeah, college yeah, and I yeah. didn't, right? <laughs> but so, all right, so in the, in the Old Testament, there was this idea that death is, uh, it, was, it was called Sheol. It was, it was just, it wasn't like a place you actually go to. It was, it was really just like a ceasing to exist. Yeah. Um, and then in the New Testament, you have the idea of a heaven that you go to. But we talk about, we often talk about that heaven as being um, something that somewhere where we would go to now. But it, from what I've read, it seems that the idea was introduced as a resurrection. Yeah. And we often in our culture conflate the idea of a, of a present heaven that we would go to yep. um, that, that exists parallel, like where we would exist in heaven parallel to the people who are still alive now. On earth. On earth. Uh, we conflate that with the idea of a resurrection, a sort of end of the world judgment, a mm. resurrection and judgment mm. and eternal um, situation. So the resurrection and judgment and eternal situation doesn't actually require an immaterial mind. It actually talks about like a, a physical resurrection. Yeah. And so you can have that sort of continuity of experience, even with that discontinuity in it, even with that gap where you've died and then your next experience subjectively is um, you're, you've been resurrected and rejuvenated and you're in, in front of God being judged. Right. You know? Um, that could be entirely material. Mm -hmm. I don't believe it's entirely material. I but think there's more it could to it. Be. Yeah, I'm saying it could be. I think that's. I think that's a very interesting point that you're talking about. Uh, the problem of personal identity, right? Which is the case. Yeah. Like, you know, it's is it you that's being? Is it the same you that's being? Um, that's progressing over time. Yeah. So I mean, if you're a, this is why I think if you're, if you're a Christian. It almost makes sense that you would affirm a form of purgatory. And I'll tell you yeah. why. Because within Christian theology, your whole life you're, you're trying to attain virtues or at least work on your virtues like love, faith, hope, yeah. you know, courage, etc., etc. Yeah. Now, the whole point of the Christian life is to work on these things. And for most humans, you never attain the perfect you're never perfect in any of these things. Yeah. So, but at the same time, there there's a thought that, okay, if you die, you immediately get transported to heaven, like you were saying. Right. But then the problem is, in the Bible, it talks about God cannot be in the presence of sin. Now, if you and I magically died right now and went to heaven, just yeah. as the state that we're in, yeah. well, we're definitely not going to make it into heaven. Yeah. Right? So it seems like you would need a state wherein you go 
to purgatory. We can call it uh, Florida Beach. Uh-huh. Right, you go to Florida Beach <laughs> where you purge yourself of these bad vices. So that so it's just you're still working on yourself. So then by the end of your journey in purgatory, you go up. It's still the same jib, same IJ, but uh-huh. we have all the good. We've, I guess, fixed all our vices and now we are just virtuous so that we can go in there. Because that way you you maintain your personal identity over time. Yeah. But if you don't have purgatory, it doesn't make sense that let's just say Hitler or Stalin, right? Right before they shoot themselves, or at least for Hitler, right before he shoots himself, he says, Dear Lord Jesus, <laughs> I, you know, I think you died for my sins, but he says all the things to become a Christian. Yeah. Boom, shoots himself. Let's just, let's just pause there. Yeah. He has an actual heart change. He doesn't just like, you know, uh, say the right words or anything like that, right? Sorry. Yes. So he, but say he, he has a heart change. Yeah, yeah. Okay. It, it, it wouldn't make sense. I don't think it makes sense in my mind why he would be able to be in the presence of God because he has all these habits that are completely evil. Right. So when he goes to heaven, he would still have those habits. Right. Unless magically after you die, you go through some teleportation thing yeah. where all your vices just get rubbed off. But then if it does, it's no longer you, at least in my opinion. It doesn't seem like it'd be you. Because part of the, the human experience is, you know, say a, a character that you've developed, let's just say it's courage. Yeah. If you got that courage without having done any work, you yeah. just woke up one day with courage yeah. or with love, yeah. you know, or grace, whatever it may be, Yeah. it wouldn't make sense. You're like, well, is it really me? Like last night I fell asleep always angry blah 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 and then you wake up you're like never angry or whatever it may be but it's the fact that you work towards these things right there's an actual working that happens yeah so there's a there's a preservation of personal identity yeah yeah look that's interesting yeah I'm gonna pause this yeah boom we're recording again alright so with purgatory with purgatory. Purgatory, right. purgatory, purgatory. So you're making the case that um, uh, there's, in order to still effectively be the same person um, and sinless, you need to go through some sort of sanctification. Um, if you want to take it out of Christianese, you could say rehabilitation maybe or habilitation if we all started off yeah. sinful. It's not re. But anyway, um, Okay, that's interesting. I can imagine, uh, because we, we are so much more than just our vices, mm-hmm. right? We are, they are, we have experiences that bring out the best in us and bring out the worst in us. There are moods that we can have that don't entirely define us. And so... So this is this is a new idea to me. Um, I hadn't really looked much into purgatory before, mm. or why an argument would be made for it in the first place. Right. Um, and this seems like a very good argument, but I will put out there that um, I can imagine, I can quite comfortably imagine uh, having my vices as shackles, 
that I could be released from hmm. um, and still feel like the same person. Okay. But a, a freer person. Um, I guess an example would be like if, if you had an alcohol addiction and um, there's a degree to which your, your desire for alcohol feels out of your control mm-hmm. um, and you can't just will yourself to overcome it. But you have times, as far as I understand it, you have times when it's not actually a problem for you. Mm-hmm. It's not always there, even, even if it often is. Um, and to, to be able to sort of go to that place where you, it, you don't feel that desire to uh, drink um, and then never go back to that desire to drink mm-hmm. um, and for it to be like the first time this has ever happened I don't think you've lost something of that person mm. I, I see like a freedom there that that person has uh, been given which is really awesome would uh, okay I see what you're saying well, well, so then what do you think would be the purpose of going through ridding yourself of your vices towards gaining virtuous um i guess virtuous habits like what's the point of doing that on earth if you're just going to be virtuous when you die why not just shoot yourself now um you know what i'm saying yeah well so paul says to live as christ and to die as gain he'll be very happy to i mean (laughs) to shoot himself (laughs) He'd be very yeah. He wants to. He loves God and wants to serve Him with all his being. And I say that with with all his being. It's probably not actually with all his being because when he wrote that, he was still a sinner. Yeah. He was still a fallen, imperfect man. And there were parts of his being that were inclining him to earthly desires. Yeah. Um. But he understood that it is better in some sense. Um, to serve God with your life, um, but and then for, from for your from your own point of view, it is better to just be with God right away. And so when we say something is better or something is good, we need to qualify. It. We need to say by what measure is it better or is it good? Um, and so from my own experience, it'd be better to be, uh, you know, with God for eternity. Mm-hmm. Um, and be on the other side of um, whether it's a long process or an instant process uh, to be to be freed of my vices and to be you know in the presence of God for eternity. Right. That sounds awesome. That sounds so good. Even though I'm really enjoying the life that I've been blessed with. Mm-hmm. Um, but it is in a different sense good that with this life I've been blessed with, I glorify Him. I glorify God. I, um, if I uh, get to be an instrument of someone else's salvation, because it's so much better for someone else to be saved as well, who otherwise wouldn't if they hadn't been in conversation with me right. about something, for example. Um, so there are different kinds of good. It would be really good for me to be with Jesus right away. But I, I don't think... I. I I think this is probably not what you're saying, but I, I dislike the idea of purgatory as a disincentive to end, ending your life now mm. or um, 
or the idea of reducing purgatory as an incentive for sanctification uh, within this life. I, I think what we want to do is um, we understand that we were saved already, and so the sanctification process doesn't save us. But the sanctification, sanctification process, that is forming good habits, reading ourselves of vices, um, it's, it's, I think probably the, the two uh, important reasons to do it are one is for goodness sake, and I'm, I'm not putting them in order of importance, but one is for goodness sake. Yeah. It is good to be good. So try to be good. This is how to be good. That's great. And the other is, um, if you love God, and He said these things are good, He's actually, you know, maybe even decided that these things are good in the first place. Um, and it's because of Him that they are good. Um, one way to love Him is to do these things. Uh, in the same way that, like, with a spouse or someone that we care about, we might not necessarily do things that they would like us to do. Um, with the expectation of reward, yeah, uh, but because it's a way to express love for them, and because we, uh, yeah, we we want their joy, right. So there's this. It's just the your intentions are different, yeah, and it, it like maps on to it. Your intentions play a role into what you, yeah. Okay. So I think within Christianity, we are, we are prone to... Look, I heard a great sermon very recently by my brother, Ben Smart, um, on legalism versus license and, and um, how neither of them are the best way. And so legalism is when you go, okay, here are the rules, and if I disobey them, I'm not good enough for God. Mm. Um, and that's technically true, but we all disobey them. None of us are actually good enough for God. That's not how we get good enough for God. Mm. Jesus has made a way for that by dying for our sins. And then the other, the other um, way of looking at it is license. If you see Jesus' death on the cross um, is justifying you as license to do whatever you want, then you're not loving God with your actions and you're not actually pursuing good. You're not treating good as good and you're not... Um, loving God well and so I think I think those are two things that we are prone to we can swing back and forth on I can go one way and then another um, since I haven't really had thought much about purgatory yeah. before I had a conversation like this it strikes me as very interesting to have purgatory introduced not for the purpose of but with a side effect of incentivize, incentivizing um, the pursuit of goodness mm in this life that's very interesting to me well Jim thank you for your time hey thanks so much for having me and for being my friend (laughs) no worries (laughs) thank you for hosting me on this podcast even though almost everyone you talk to is like some expert in something they've got all all this I love listening to your podcast thanks all these really interesting different points of view Uh, it's a privilege to be a good enough friend of yours that I get to be on it anyway of course what is uh what social media can people follow you on? Probably Twitter is what I'm most active okay. on. And what um, is it? It's if you just look for Jib Smart, J I B B S M A R T. That's me. And um, your gyro and your gyro, gyro stuff. What, what what's the website? Gyrowiki. 
That's G Y R O W I K I dot Jibsmart J I B B S M A R T dot com. And your YouTube is um, Gyro Gaming. If you search for Gyro Gaming, that won't necessarily be the first thing that comes up. Uh, but you can definitely find it from my Twitter. There's a channel my, though. If you search yeah. gyro, a gyro wiki, then there'll be a channel that appears. Uh, yeah, I, I think there are other channels that go by the same name. Oh, okay. I think my channel might be the first one with that name that comes up. Okay. Um, but it's because it's still relatively small, uh, YouTube might think you're looking for something else. Right. Best way to find me is through Twitter, and that has links to the channel, to gyro wiki. Um, yeah, I'd love to talk about this stuff with you if you're a king. Cool. Thanks, Jimmy. Thanks, AJ.